Hello and welcome to episode 23 of series 4 of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. So I'm just going to quickly cover off what we've got coming up in some future episodes. In our next episode, which goes out on the 7th of November, which is episode 24 of this series, we have an interview with Jen Sproul and Susanna Holton. Jen is from the IOIC. In fact, she's the CEO of the IOIC. And Susanna is from Ipsos, Carrion and Box. Um, and the IOIC recently commissioned Ipsos, Carrion and Box to carry out a survey for them in terms of what employees currently feel about internal communications. So we've got an interview with Jen and with Susanna who are going to be telling us all about the findings of that survey, uh, which is a really interesting piece of work. And I think if you're involved in internal comms or in fact any part of employee engagement, OD, OD, you'll find this a really interesting interview. So that's going out on the 7th of November. And then on the 21st of November, which is episode 25, I've got an interview with Morris DeCoing. Morris is from DeCoing Human Capital and Morris is going to be telling us all about the return on investment of psychological safety, why we should be investing in our psychological safety programs, what psychological safety is, and why it's important within organisations, particularly in the climate that we're in with at the moment with with, uh, an increased emphasis on mental health and personal and psychological well-being. I think it will be a really interesting and useful episode for you. Anyway, so that's what we've got coming up in future episodes. I'm not going to say anything else. Let's get into this episode's interview. I'm going to keep this introduction quite short because the interview that follows is quite a long one, but it's very, very in-depth and one that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed. But the interview itself is going to be all about how we have an, a misalignment within our organisations between our strategy and our culture. Uh, and also our customer experience or our end user experience and how this disconnect plays out in our organizations and can cause us big challenges and big, big issues. Um, so I'm not going to really tell you any more about the interview. I'll let you listen to it for yourself. But I think what I wanted to point out, and we don't talk about our, our work very often, but as you're listening to this, if you perceive you have this sort of disconnect within your organization where there is a, a misalignment between your strategy how well it's understood, how well it's uh, been embodied within your organization and also the cultural disconnect between it, then I think it would be really good if if, if we could talk with, with you, if you if you want to get in touch with us, because this is exactly the sort of work that we do at The Big Picture People, which is to help organizations to, first of all, help their employees and everybody in their organization understand their strategy, but also to then communicate it in a way that people can understand see how culturally we need to change our behaviors we need to change our mindsets we need to change the way we behave with each other and with our external world in order to be able to be successful so i just wanted to point that out as you listen to this interview if this is something that you're wanting to address within your organization then definitely be worth getting in touch with us at the big picture people and you could do that by emailing us at info at the big picture people dot co dot uk anyway i'll shut up and let you enjoy the interview. My guest on this episode is Richard Nugent. Richard is the founder and MD of 21 Leadership. Over the past 15 years, Richard has worked with some of the biggest and best-known organizations in the world. He helps fast-paced organizations to build their capability and capacity for change. 
His typical clients are executive teams at FTSE 500 and sorry, FTSE 250 type businesses and who are looking to grow and change their strategic direction. Richard is the author of the recent published book, The Alignment Advantage. So hello, Richard. This is your second uh, second interview on the show. So how are you? And just for the listeners, where are you based, please, Richard? I'm brilliant. It's fantastic to be back with you, Craig. And I am up in the uh, in the northeast of England. We have a base about nine miles east from Newcastle. So um, I know it's a territory you're familiar with. Um, and it's nice, you know, as we're recording this, it's it's school holidays. So I haven't been haven't been out on the road. I've been spending plenty of time with the family. Um, and at the same time, I'm already kind of getting ready for the last the last third of the year. I'm raring to go again. So all good. Brilliant. Excellent. Yeah, you're just down the road from me, but we're recording this virtually. But uh, yeah, we're not a million miles from each other. So um, anyway, Richard, just for the people who maybe didn't, haven't heard you on uh, on the previous interview, just, just tell us a little bit about, more about what you do. I've kind of given a brief introduction there. And also um, maybe tell us more about, about the book, The Alignment Advantage. Yeah, so 20, 21 Leadership, we, we, formed, um, we formed the consultancy with a clear kind of understanding and belief that leadership is the competitive advantage in business today. Mm. Um, you know, we made a decision right at the beginning that we were going to be a leadership consultancy because that was the difference that I think I could make to clients and the kinds of organizations that I want to work with. And that core belief backs that up. You know, I believe that any, if you take two organizations that are similar in a similar sector, competing for a similar marketplace, Either one of them can, you know, invest in their IT infrastructure or increase their wage bill to bring more people in or different people into the organization. But for me, it would be the lead, the, the organization that has uh, a greater leadership capability at all levels, the greater ability to coach and motivate and inspire and engage and to lead change. It'll be that one that will be more successful in the mm-hmm. long run. Mm-hmm. So everything we do as an organization is really geared up for that. And we are a... You know, we are a small organization. Um, I, I, I was speaking to one of the, the big consultancies who have asked us to partner with them on, on a big piece of work abroad uh, a few weeks ago. And I said, you know, um, there was a book in my early days I read, which was something like how to be uh, great rather than big as an organization. That yeah. really took hold. That's something that's always lasted with me. So we're not a huge organization, but we're really fortunate. We punch above our weight in, term of, in terms of the clients we work with, people like Milne Entertainment, Samsung, Warner Brothers, Majidal Fateem, and over the years we've worked some up with with some absolutely fantastic organisations. Recently, did a piece of work with Netflix and CBRE. So the kind of clients we work with tend to be fast paced. They tend to be growing. Um, they tend to be, you know, always moving and always needing that um, leadership capability to to take them to where they need to get to. You know, high yeah. demand, high results, and they often want it to be a great place to work as well. And those two things. Uh, you know, to balance those two things is a real challenge, which is part of what drove me towards uh, our work around aligned and the alignment advantage. Yeah, excellent. No, and no, I know we've worked together before, and uh, and and you know, huge respecter of your work, and uh, and and yeah, absolutely, all of the things you've said there, totally, totally back that up. So yeah, let's let's move on to the book then, Richard, because I think this is it's kind of culmination, perhaps, of of of, a, of that philosophy and 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 a lot of years of observation and also some research as well so do you want to tell us a little bit more about the book and and some of the some of the initial findings then we'll delve into some more detail on on those yeah absolutely so you're right it is a piece of work that that emerged over a period of years you know we we're constantly developing ourselves and growing and researching and we're fortunate to 
partner with people like the London School of Economics who do research projects for us. And I, I'd always, you know, certainly for about a 10-year period, I'd really been a culture guy. You know, culture fascinates me. I think it's such an enabler. It's where I really enjoy, you know, proper culture change programs. And uh, as as with you, I know, where, where people are looking to develop a new uh, uh, cultural narrative and an embedded set of values or, you know, get people engaged and aligned with the vision. That was always where I'd hung out. But there was this there was this nagging piece that was missing for me and it, it took quite a long time to be able to articulate it and almost codify it. And what I realized was that there was a misalignment between an organization's strategy and commercial intent and 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 the cultural work that was going on. And there always seemed to be this either a lack of connection between the two or even worse there were the, the two were almost set against each other. You know, you'd either have an organisation that was really commercial and and you know really strategic, and the cultural stuff was seen as a bit soft and fluffy that are kind of nice to have later on, or you know certainly in the past kind of ten to fifteen years with the emergence of all of this start with why stuff, um, that you know it was all about let's have a purpose driven organisation, and therefore the kind of commercial resultsy stuff almost became slightly dirty word and. There was a deep discomfort with that. And, and what's emerged in the last five or six years is an understanding that if an organization wants to have a real advantage in their marketplace against their competitors, then aligning understanding between their strategy, the culture that they want to bring to life, and the experience they want to create for their customers, visitors, guests, clients – that creates an advantage. And, and, and in fact, our, our own research, we've asked hundreds and hundreds of organizations now six very simple questions that shines a light on the degree to which their teams, and in particular the senior teams, are aligned in their thinking across strategy, culture, and what we call the X, which is customer experience plus brand. What we found is less than, it's actually less than 3% of organizations when they talk about strategy, culture, and experience, or even talking about the same thing as the other people in the organization. So by aligning understanding across those three areas and actually aligning strategy and culture and experience, organizations can have an advantage over 97% of their competitors. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, that's quite quite a stark, a stark figure. I mean, guess just, just before we, I guess we go into this, because this is something we're going to be exploring. I know we're going to talk about this later on I'm actually going to bring it forward because i know i over i heard you talking on a, on another interview and I'm, i know this is sort of we've talked about this before is this and i really like this way that you define this about being really clear about what some really important words mean and i think strategy and culture are, 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 and and to, to a certain extent customer service are, are some of those terms that i think people have you know, you'll go, well, let's talk about strategy and we're all talking about something slightly different because we haven't got a common definition of it. So just, just I guess, just I, I know I was going to cover this later on with you. What are we talking about when we're talking about strategy, culture and customer experience? Just so we can kind of put some some edges to those those, those concepts. Because again, people listening to this might have a, diff, a very different perspective of what those those three things are to a greater or lesser extent. So, so what's your working definition of those three, three key elements of this, of this, uh, of, of your book and, and your work, uh, Richard. And, and look, I, I, I will share them. Um, but I, I'd like to make this really clear. If mm. I had to go into work with a senior team mm -hmm. and they give me a definition of strategy mm. and it's different to mine, 
but they all agree with each other. Yeah, okay. Then I'm happy for them to go with this. Right. And similar with culture, similar with things like brand. So that that point's just, it's really, it sounds like a small point. If anyone listens to this, it might mm. sound small, but but actually, you know, I, my starting point for this work is not to say, is not to say this is, this is how you should define strategy. Right. I have a conversation and I believe in it, a, a definition, I believe in it. But actually, if somebody's got their own definition, they all they all agree with each other, that's even more important. However, as you know, as as we've talked about, that, that it's quite rarely the case. It's much more often that when you know three of the six, those six key questions I mentioned earlier are what is your definition of strategy? What is your definition of culture? And um what what for you is the distinction between customer service and customer experience? And when I ask senior teams those questions, invariably there are different answers. Um, so my my definition of strategy is that strategy is the overall key strategic objective. You know the the overall smart big smart goal that that organisation or that team has to deliver. So it's the overall key strategic objective, plus the rich multifaceted sub-strategies that go all the way down into the tactics and actions that when they are when they are activated ev- everything that's activated chunks back up to deliver the overall key strategic objective mm-hmm. so, so go, I, I guess I, in jim collins language we're talking about the big hairy audacious goal and then all of the things that then help us to get to that big hairy audacious goal Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and I know the way I describe it. It's not, you know, it doesn't trip off the tongue. It's not particularly sexy, but you know, when I was doing, I, I, I really got forced into into strategy. I, like lots of other people, it turns out, I thought I was the only person in the room who didn't understand what strategy was. <laughs> Everyone talked about strategy, and and I didn't know what it was. And in the end, I avoided it, I avoided it, I avoided it. In the end, I got forced in, into a corner by a client and I had to go in and do a, a kind of a study piece. And I read all sorts of books and I went on various programs. I remember going on a um, strategic leadership for entrepreneurs program, a six-month program at one of the top London business schools. And I came out of that and I could do a wicked SWOT analysis, but I, I still still didn't really understand what strategy was, you know. And eventually everything, you know, came together Um uh, in, into creating an understanding and a framework that, that we could work with, but what one of the key um, key inputs uh, in that for me was a book called "Good Strategy, Bad Strategy" by Richard Rummelt. And in there, he says that a strategy is only a strategy when all elements are present. So when you look at some organisations' websites, they might they might say our strategy is you know our strategy is to make you know, 4 billion EBITDA, you know, by such and such a date. Mm. That, you know, with a bit of shaping, that becomes a a, a good key strategic objective, the overall strategic objective. But a strategic objective in itself is not a strategy. It's part of a strategy, but it's not a strategy. And in other organizations, they'll, you know, our strategy is to become, you know, the number one market leader in our industry. Again, that's a bit more of a vision, which for me fits into the cultural narrative it's definitely not a strategy. The other thing that I see a lot in organizations, especially ones that have grown really quickly, is they have a, you know, they might have a big, as you say, big, big, hairy, audacious goal, or they might have a, a, a big key strategic objective. Uh, but then underneath it, there isn't a strategy. There's, there's effectively just thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of actions. Um, and uh, which again, a, a big action plan is not a strategy. 
for it to be a strategy, you've got to have the, the big, you know, strategic objective, which is smart. It, it, it's not a vision. It's not something which is unachievable. It's specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound. Um, and then essentially the process is you take that overall key strategic objective, you break it down into a number of sub-objectives, so we call them enabling objectives. Those enabling objectives are broken down into further objectives and so on and so on until eventually you do end up with actions and tactics. But all of those actions and tactics are in service of a set of objectives, which when they're all delivered, you know, deliver the objectives above them and so on and so on. So it's it's the overall a strategy is only a strategy when it's all of those elements together. And what I find useful when we're helping organizations to define strategy and then define their own strategy, we say, look, for a period of time, even if it's only three months, let's not use the word strategy for anything other than that big whole thing. Yeah. Because one of the challenges with strategy is we use the word to mean so many different things, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, a lot of what we do actually in defining strategy is helping people to understand what is in strategy first. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So that's the first one. Culture, a little bit more simple. My favorite definition of culture is that culture is how we be around here. And I know it's not very good English, but if you, you know, and you'll have done this, uh, you know, a thousand times, I know, Craig, if you go into a group and ask people what is culture, they'll typically say things like, it's how we behave, how it feels to work around here, what's important. And and I think culture is actually all of those things and more, you know, culture is how we show up for each other, you know, in the moment regularly. It's what we demonstrate is important by our actions. It's what we allow, you know, it's what we what we make okay by not managing or by managing it's how it feels um but it's also how we go about doing the work and i know this is something that your work is brilliant at at, at enabling and guiding the 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 cul culture and how we do the work are not separate how we do the work is reflective of the culture it's as much of an indicator of the culture as you know, as as anything that might happen when people pass each other in a corridor. So cult, uh, my favorite definition of culture is that it's how we be around here. And then for me, when we define the difference between customer service and customer experience, service is what we, is the organization is what we give, whereas experience is what the guests, customers, clients, visitors have. And it's it sounds like a simple distinction, um, but we, I'm a real believer that service and experience aren't two different parts of the same continuum. Customer service and customer experience are fundamentally different things. You can control everything you do from a service point of view, and that won't necessarily have a positive impact on the customer experience. In fact, we've got a ton of examples that show doing too much on customer service can make the customer experience worse. Mm, mm. Now, that's not saying that it's bad to be a customer service organization. If somebody just wants to deliver, you know, the same stuff consistently. I often use the example of going to a petrol station or a gas station if you're in the States. And I, I'm not sure I totally believe this because I think I want to have a bit of an experience in as much as I want the, you know, I want the pumps to be clean. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, smelling of diesel or whatever afterwards but essentially if i go to a petrol station and i i can get my fuel in my car and i can go and pay quickly and it's all very transactional you know like you can go to a, an automated petrol station or gas station stick your card in you don't have to have any interaction that's cool with me but 
but there's lots of other organizations that want to give really great experience. They want their customers, guests, visitors, clients to go away with a feeling about the experience they've had. And if your organization wants that, then you have to focus on creating those experiences and measuring them. You can't be a great experience organization just by doing service, which yeah. is why that distinction between service being what you give, experience being what they have. So yeah, yeah. Restart and definitions. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And, and I like I like that distinction, actually. And when it's one I'd not really thought of, and I guess that applies, you know, you're using the word customer in, in, in anyone who is a recipient of your service or product, whether you refer to them as customers, because I, I mean, you know, like you, I probably work with a lot of organizations who, well, we don't call them customers here. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're more kind of uh, end users or recipients. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's why we talk about about the X in our aligned, aligned framework, the mm-hmm. essence strategy, C is culture, and the X is everything, everything which is the external experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's that, that is that end user experience of whatever type it is um plus brand in its purest essence and again just for that sake of defining things and you know in green on 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 the mean of important words you know a lot of the time when people talk about brand they're actually either talking about branding Mm. you know logos typefaces iconography or increasingly uh I, i see you know People are showing up on um, The Apprentice, for example, um, in the UK and talking about, oh, I've established a brand, which is X, Y, Z. And they don't mean brand. They actually just mean company. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But brand, um, you know, I think my favorite definition at the minute, and this is coined by by my, my business partner and friend, Ross Aiken, he, he, he talks about brand is uh, what you do multiplied by your reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, lots yeah. of people talk about brand as being what people will say about you. You know, when your back's turned. Um, so it is. It is. That's why we customer experience and brand aren't quite the same thing because you can have a brand experience when you aren't interacting direct, when you're not a customer of yes. the organization. Yeah. But the actual what you're looking to create, for, you know, from the inside out of an organization for both brand and customer experience, they're very similar things. It's that. It's that feeling, that reputation that you're looking to create in others that whether we like it or not, this often doesn't go down very well, especially with marketing people, actually, we, that means if, if they're the definitions, it means we can't wholly own either our brand or the, or our customer experience. All we can do is everything that we can internally to have as big an influence on that in the right direction as we as we yeah. possibly can. Yeah. Hence why that the that 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 sort of trinity of things that you've talked you talk about in the book and that you've you've talked about today is, is that is, is that alignment is so key. Because uh, I guess for someone who's kind of looking at this from a kind of a you know from an external perspective, the outlier on, on those three things might be the customer experience bit, the strategy and the cult you kind of get, but the, the kind of customer experience thing is 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 the thing that I think you need to you know explain in the way you have to make sure you understand why that is part of that that three way um, that sort of triangle that I'm visualizing in my mind, and I think mm. it's, it's, you, you include in in, in the in, in, in it's on the there's a logo on the book that I'm I'm looking at now. It's the I'm not sure whether that's subliminal or not, but uh, <laughs> uh, so Richard, let's let's guess that I think I know it's kind of jumped to a head a little bit, but let's just dial back then to so you talked about that you know 97 of organizations do, are or don't have that. There's a very small number where that other, there is an alignment between those three things, which which you know I, I I thinking about the companies that we work with and the clients, some of the clients we work with, I, that, that sounds you know it doesn't sound 
as uh, a bigger gulf as uh, you know uh, to some to people who may think that that is a is a big number right you know that kind of like i can get that what, what what's the what's the downside of that and it may seem like obvious that that have not having those three things or or any of those elements aligned is a problem what what does that misalignment do and how is it debilitating um to an organization when when they don't have that alignment yeah it's a good good question craig well let, let's start with the, the first two elements so um as i say strategy and culture are often talked about you know at odds with each other mm. um and the challenge with that is culture has to be created to be a strategic enabler mm. if your culture isn't a strategic enabler it's a strategic blocker mm. and we're working with a um a, a large uk organization um which is very well known in its field uh at the moment and however the business performance and one or two things in the marketplace is meaning they're having to do a lot of cost cutting they've done various um uh, uh reorganizations mm. they've tried to get their next um you know reinvestment refinancing and that fell through and i think their biggest challenge isn't their strategy it's their culture mm. there is a there is a, a in my view a dangerously negative culture in the organization and there is a big gulf between those who work in the operational area of the organization and those who work in the kind of central functions mm. and that and that's you know that is an example of of why misalignments detrimental now that's a bit of an extreme example but actually most organizations the challenge is just that we don't think about strategy and culture as a partnership like that mm. you know if you're a if if you're an organization that's going to you know grow from 2 billion to 6 billion over the next 7 years as one of our other clients are trying to do then that strategic intent has clear implications on the culture required in order to get there whereas you know as as you have we spent some time in the um housing association sector social housing now it's a really challenging sector that's gone through a huge amount of change in the last 20 years but most of the organizations in that sector aren't on a huge growth track and therefore you know if this is really about in, in that case you know re the strategy is really about servicing their end users as, as well as they possibly can and not growth then that probably has a different set of implications on their culture so just that that coupling is really important and if you don't have that there's a danger that you you end up with a culture that gets in the way of delivering your strategic intent mm. and then if if we go to the kind of second second coupling in the in in the triad i'm a real believer that your customer experience or your end user experience cannot outperform your employee experience for any prolonged period of time okay so your customer experience can't outperform your employee experience for any prolonged period of time. Therefore, not only does your culture has to be have to be shaped to deliver your strategic intent, but it also has to be shaped in such a way that it reflects the external experience that you want to create. And therefore, if you don't think about those two things together, you can be making brand and customer promises that your culture just cannot deliver upon. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I experienced this as a as a customer regularly there's a you know huge airline that we'd all be familiar with this in in this uh, in this country in the uk that just you know makes these big bold 
you know, brand positioning statements. Uh, but as an end user, it just doesn't feel like that at all. Mm. And having a little bit of an insight into some of the, you know, some of the cultural challenges internally, I can totally understand why. Mm. So, um, which is why, again, that clarity is so important. You know, we work with lots and lots of, you know, very customer, very visitor, very guest facing organizations. And one of the questions they ask is, what is the experience that you would want me to have? If I came to stay, you know, stay in your hotel, stay in your resort, stay in your, uh, be, be a direct customer of your business, what is the experience that you'd want me to have? And in what way, what's the little distinction that I would have in experience which separates you from your um, competitors? Quite often the definition around the table, even with really senior people, even with those people who are in, in, in charge of customer service or customer experience, they, they can't clearly define it. So not only does that have implications on how do you know you're measuring the right thing, but also it has implications on we don't really quite know what the culture we're trying to create internally is. We don't know really what kind of people we're quite trying to hire because until we've got that definition clear and aligned between us, then we don't know fully what the culture is we're mm. trying to shape. Mm. So you end up, the, the best metaphor that I can give to, to, to answer the question maybe a bit more succinctly is you can find this on YouTube, even though it's probably 50 years old or something now there's a really old monty python sketch mm. and um it's called the hundred yards for the uh, directionally challenged yeah yards tells you how old it is and if you yeah. imagine there's a a bunch of people lining up on a starting line as if they're going to run a hundred meters race yeah and the gun goes off and everybody just runs off in different directions yeah 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 and i think so many organizations are operating in that way everyone's shooting off in different directions because there isn't a clear lined understanding and a clear connection between strategy, culture, and, and the X. I remember that sketch well. Uh, yeah, I might even put a link to it into the show notes. I've never put a link to anything to do with Monty Python into my podcast show notes, but you've given me the okay. golden, yeah. And I, I know, I, I really like that. And, and, and I'm going gonna, gonna to ask you, just, while you were talking earlier, I sketched a, a question down that wasn't on our kind of plan of questions I was going to ask you. So this is a bit, a bit naughty, Richard, but I think, I think it's a nice question for us to explore together. And it's probably one, knowing you, you'd have thought of before. So you, you and I both know that um, very, very, very rarely are we in that position to start with a kind of blank sheet of paper, either from a strategic perspective or from a from a cultural perspective. So when you face when you go into and I'm not ignoring customer experience for mm. you know I'm just I'm just trying to simplify it to make it more binary question. And I guess you, we could apply it to the to, to that third element as well. And we, we but just just for simplicity. So if you go into a situation where there is that clearly that misalignment. What what are you going to change? Are you going to try and change the strategy to meet the culture? Or are you going to try and change the culture to meet the strategy? Because both of you know, both of us know that neither of those are easy because you're often working within a, a paradigm that uh, the strategy might be something that we've kind of, you know, it's kind of given to us to a certain extent by the mothership organization, or it's kind of, you know, it's all, it's almost kind of cast in stone and, and never to be challenged, but also the culture, as we know, is notoriously difficult, but especially we've got lots of people and that culture has been around for a long time and it's very ingrained. Where, where, where would you start in that sort of scenario? Or what would you try and shift or would you try and bring them both together to converge at some point of, in the, you know, kind of non-defined point? In, of, of where they could potentially overlap yeah it's good good question it goes goes back to the power of the these kind of critical six questions because mm. so, we we start off 
pr- pretty much every piece of work by asking them. And we've, we've actually got a more in-depth diagnostic that we use actually on on occasion these days because the, the, the critical six tend to nail it m- the vast majority of times. Mm. But what that does is, you know, if, if the first two questions, the first two questions are what is strategy and what are your, what is the key strategic objective that you're, that you're working to deliver? Mm. Um, if we were in an organization or in a team where everybody around the top, the, you know, the, the table gives the same answers as each other to those two questions, then, then that's taken care of. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's actually very rare that that happens. Um, so, so if the, 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 the next questions then is what is, what is your definition of culture? And this is like having a favorite question out of the six is a bit, is a little bit like, you know, have you got a favorite child? But at the moment, <laughs> the, the, the answers that I'm getting to this question are just incredibly fascinating. So, so the next question mm. is on a scale of one to six, to what degree does your current culture support the delivery of your strategic objective Mm. right so what we're asking in those first four questions in those two couplings is how clear are you on what your strategy what strategy is Mm. and what you and what your strategy is and then the second is how clear are you in what culture is and and how right is your culture Mm. now what's the reason i think that question four is really interesting is uh there are fairly regular occasions it's probably the majority not quite mm. but probably the, the majority where on a scale of one to six to what degree does your current culture support the delivery of your strategic objectives and people will give it a you know a four five or six so they're going cool it's taken care of what we then do is go back and check their answers to number two which is what is your strategic objectives mm. if they weren't all crystal clear and aligned on the answer to question number two they actually can't answer question number four mm. Yeah, because if and this has happened on a couple of occasions in particular where everyone will say no, I wear a five or a six. Our culture is awesome, but if they if they if they don't know what they're shooting for strategically, they don't mm. know whether their culture is right. Mm. It might be a nice place to work, but that doesn't mean it's that that culture is right. So, so what I'm saying is, it, strategy strategy has to be clear and aligned first. But by answering asking the questions, that guides us as to where we need to pay most attention mm, mm. in terms of that focus on strategy or culture mm. there has been uh, i think probably one occasion where the strategy was pretty much nailed um and then when we delved into the culture that that was what was the kind of issue mm. so we we started by saying look you you've got the strategy's not not your key issue we worked on the culture they came together much more as an overall, it was the kind of top couple of teams we were working with. But what was interesting is as the culture strengthened in the right direction, as a team, as a community, they then went back and said, hang on a minute, we, we're clear on what the strategy is, but ne- but we're now in a position to look at it in a slightly different right and say, is it right? Yeah. And it, and it was a, it, the key strategic goal had been handed down from them, you know, f- from organizational on high. Mm. So they said, actually, now we're in a position of strength because we, because we're operating as a high performing team to go back and, and, um, and challenge that a little bit. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it, that diagnostic tells us where to start. However, the stra- strategy's got to be the starting point because out of that comes what the, what is the culture that we need to shape? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating when uh, the more, more I listen to it and think about it, the more I kind of think I'm, I'm thinking of some of the people, you know, organizations I work with. And, and, and you know, I'm thinking particularly in, in sectors that are, and I don't want to kind of get too specific because some of my clients might be listening to this, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, particularly in, in sectors where there's a, there's, a, there's a heavy cultural legacy that links to either you know the 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 profession itself say for that they work in you know there's kind of it's not that organization's culture but it's a culture of if you are a such and such you kind of think and behave like this Mm -hmm. uh and therefore how how difficult that is for leadership teams who do have a very you know have have a good strategy to be able to mold that culture when it's got so many kind of endemic uh, challenges associated with it that they just haven't got the you know they haven't got the ability to just start again as it were and and, and you know it's, it's it is but it's really interesting way of thinking about it and and so what i'm taking from that is you know you start with the strategy and then it's then to look at how we can shape the culture in order to deliver the strategy because if you i guess if you're trying to two moving points and you're trying to change both of them that's going to be um or you don't pin one of them down first. You 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 kind of you've got no point of reference, have you? Totally. And mm. and I, I I absolutely hear what you're saying. And you, you're right. You know there are some some industries, some organisations where it is just much more difficult to, mm. to to change the culture. It's a longer process. You know, I was I was doing a little bit of coaching with somebody who is um uh essentially a kind of business head of a, a particular organisation in Germany in mm. the works councils in Germany have got such a strength and such mm. an influence their their culture change timeline looks quite different to what it would be for most of the clients we work with in uk us where if you want to drive a change through you can just essentially drive yeah. a change through yeah. so i get that however there's there's two things that really help in this mm. um uh and and when when people have a conversation like like you and I are fortunate because we sit outside of organizations yeah. and I think people by nature then will often kind of listen to us slightly differently. But lots of times in organizations, people open up a conversation about culture and and there is still, even in this day and age, this slight, oh yeah, but it's the nice to have. Oh, that's all very well. You know, we're talking about, you know, people often think of culture being about making this a nice place to work or a great place to work or a times top 100 or best companies. And it's a bit of a fluffy add on. Mm. And what, what we're saying here is no, absolutely not. This is, if you don't get this right, it gets in the way of you delivering your strategic intent, you know, really. Um, and this, this is the, the second point. Part of the thing that influenced this is when we developed our own culture change framework, I'm going to say it's about seven or eight years ago. I can't, can't remember exactly. But one of the things that we found through this big modeling project we did of organizations who'd started culture change and nailed them mm. versus companies who'd started culture change programs and hadn't was that at the beginning, those that had nailed them had pretty much all set out a business case for change, mm. a business change for the culture change in the same ways they'd set out a business case for changing an IT system mm. or, you know, changing, you know, any other kind of standard operating procedure. And what we found was if organizations didn't do that, they just set it out and said, hey, we need this, we want to change the culture, or too many people are leaving, so we need to change it. Very quickly, some other strategic imperative would come along and trump it. Mm. Whereas if you set out a 
proper business case for change, a proper burning platform or a proper opportunity point that makes the makes the culture change critical to the success of the organization, N- not in people terms, not in HR terms, but in financial terms or operational terms. That that was one of the things that changed the dial and culture change. Mm-hmm. It was one of the influences in in this framework where it made me realize, well, the only way to create that business change properly is to be really crystal clear on what the strategic intent is. Mm-hmm. So having having that link really does it it helps that early conversation because you're not just changing it to make it better or more modern, but actually you're changing it to help us to deliver what we need to deliver. And frankly, if an organization has people in there that aren't interested in helping it to deliver what it needs to deliver. You know, mm. we need to find ways to move mm. it out. Absolutely. This one, one of the interviews in the book is, is somebody I've known for a lot of bloody years in, 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 in a different context, but he, um, he's a head teacher and he applied the whole aligned framework to, um, what was a, a school in a really challenging part of Northumberland. And, um, you know, for lots of reasons, it was, there's lots of reasons why, it could have not worked, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm speaking for me here, not definitely not him, but I look at teaching as one of those professions and education as a sector where it really is difficult to create lasting change to mm. the system, mm. you know, because you, frankly, you kind of just go in and fire a group of teachers if you don't think they're performing very well at a mm. school mm. or, you, you know, you kind of change what Ofsted assesses a school on you mm. kind of change you know what's measured in sats but even on that backdrop he created a new school plan which is the equivalent of a strategy and and he, he said right if this is what we're setting out to achieve and you've all said you're up for this because you care about what the the students are achieving and you care about the profile of the school and the community it serves then let's look at what the culture needs to be like in order to do that. And it mm. created a degree of buy-in that I don't think you would have been able to create if you just went in and said, mm. hey, we want to change the values, we mm. want to change the vision, we want to change how we be. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, 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 de- definitely. And, and uh, yeah, you weren't a million miles away from the sector I was alluding to. Okay. I was, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, as I suspected, um, I, 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 we, 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 we kind of time is, is against us because I, I always like talking to you, Richard, as you know, which is hence why I asked you to come on the show again but l- l- there's one area i just want to cover off before we do do have to wrap and that is um a really important part because it's kind of something that's important to me and close to what we do as well which is one thing you talked about um again i, I can't recall whether i read it in the book or whether whether it was in, in when i was kind of eavesdropping on another conversation you had on another podcast was this idea of uh, the difference between communication and understanding and i know just before we we started recording i kind of shared with you a, a, a bit of research that i'm going to be covering in a future episode uh, I think it's going out after yours uh, when I talked to Jen Sproul from the Institute of Internal Communications based on some research they've done, which is that they've found this, um, you know, this sort of anomaly, uh, they call it a slight paradox. I think it's a, it is a paradox where in their research, they've got a, a, a big discrepancy between the um, the amount of people across the organization, whether that's from, you know, kind of frontline employees or uh, up to senior management in the, the a discrepancy between, um, 
people believing in the strategy but not actually fully understanding what it is so yeah do you know ask the question do you do you think we've got the right strategy yeah 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 do you know what the strategy is well i kind of know but uh, um and they found a gap of like 14 percent in at a senior management level uh, this difference between communication and and understanding which is you know alignment there's an implication there around that they're they're two probably really important parts of alignment what's the distinction in your mind and and in why you know this is particularly thinking of the audience from for this podcast in terms of employee engagers and internal communicators and od people what's the difference and and, and how do we get that right and 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 particularly you know communication is important but understanding is ultimately the objective of, of anything like that what, what, what talk, talk me through your logic around that richard because i think it's a really important point yeah, I, and I'm I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna be slightly paradoxical here as well. I think. Um, so, so the first starting point is is those first two points about clarity about what strategy is. When we are talking about strategy as a communicate as, as a community as a senior mm. team as an organisation, when we use the word strategy, do we all mean the same thing? Mm. Then from there, you know that it's a it's a beautiful piece of research, and and thank, thanks for sharing it. Like. I, when we when we're saying yeah the strategy yes the what we're trying to achieve the strategy oh do we all understand are, are we clear and aligned on what the strategic intent is mm. one of the very early clients that i worked with using the the um aligned approach kind of fully was a you know re- relatively speaking a small organization they they and they had a target of growing from 100 million to 300 million in three years and i knew that I, I, you know it was put front and center to me they had a senior team of seven people including the md who was also the founder and we ran through these six questions and when we came to the question about what is your key strategic objective amongst those seven people there were six different answers mm. and they all thought they were they, they before i sh- kind of before I shared their answers back in front of them, if I had said to them, you are all shooting for different things, they would have laughed me out of the place. Mm. So making so part of this is, are we clear and aligned on 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 what the strategy is, exactly as that research says? And um there are there are so many organizations that think they they are aligned and that the problem is people down the way aren't getting it. Mm. And a lot of the issue with strategic communications isn't an issue with communications, it's an issue with strategy. Yeah. So that's the first bit. Yeah. Then, then, and this I think is completely relevant to your to your audience, and I'm smiling. I hope they forgive me. Um it was it was in my previous consultancy days, it was back when I was at Kaiser, and I, I remember writing this article. And I can't remember the, exactly the title, but it was something like "Why Most Internal Communications Are a Waste of Time." Mm. It was something. It was some quite inflammatory, but like that, and it, and it, you know, rightly so. People called me out about it, but but my point still stands to this day. There are there is too much communication, which is like FYI communication. Mm. It's it's information sharing with an assumption that if we share lots of information, then we're communicating and they'll get it. And that's just, you know, I know you know this because you're an yeah. absolute master at not doing that. <laughs> but but our, the way we approach it is um, that communication should always start with an outcome. Mm. 
Mm. What is it that we want people to do differently as a result of this communication? And if it's FYI in, I don't know, I'm making this up now, but let's say 99% of time, 98% of times, FYI is a waste of time. Mm. It's like, what do we want people to do differently? So once we have got crystal clear and aligned on our strategy, then we're thinking, right, what do we want all of, you know, what do we want the masses to do differently as a result of any strategic comms that we do? And I can really, really quickly, because I know time's against us, mm. but we, did a, we got invited to MC, I got invited to MC, a strategic comms launch, st- strategy launch for a um, a big uh, a, a association. It was a, a kind of royal standard organization, chartered organization a while ago. And um, and I was like, I'm happy to do it. I was going to MC. I was going to introduce people, but I was going to run some sessions on leadership and on strategy. I said, what's the actual outcome for all of this? And they said, we want people to be engaged by the new strategy, excited by the new strategy, and we want them to understand really clearly. We want them to get what their contribution to mm. it is and therefore change how they operate. So I know how I'm contributing to this, so I'm going to do this rather than that. And then they ran through what they were going to do for the kind of day and a half, day and three quarters. And it was PowerPoint presentation after PowerPoint presentation. Mm, yeah. After the next big cheese doing another PowerPoint presentation. And I, and I had to, you know, put my kind of big boy pants on and say, if your outcome is engagement and excitement, <laughs> then getting them to sit, listening to people talking about, you know, numbers for, for a day and a half isn't going to do it. And it was that focus on outcome and then saying, right, what do we actually need to activate? What do we need to put in place to cause the engagement? Because we don't, people don't need to memorize every bit of the strategy because they can go back on and look at the PowerPoint deck or whatever. What they do need to do is feel, you know, in most cases, engaged and connected with it. So, absolutely. So, yeah, that's my that's my view on it. We've got to make sure we're clear and clear and um, aligned on what our strategy is, and then when we think about how we communicate it, we actually think about what do we want people to do as a result of the communication yeah. and shape the whole methodology around that. Yeah, 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 definitely. It, 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 just, it just reminded me, actually, in the episode, last episode that, that's going out before before um, this this one, your your episode, Richard, um, I, uh, I recorded it a few days ago. I had a conversation with... Um, a lady called Nicole Byrne. Now Nicole, she's she's now got her own consultancy, but for twenty five years, she had she was um, the internal comms. She worked in internal comms as the senior internal comms person for Mercedes Formula One team and its previous incarnations. And she was telling me, uh, if if if, you, if if people listening wow. to this haven't listened to the the show, is that everybody you know there's two thousand people work for Mercedes F one. It's a massive organization. Everybody thinks it's only a handful of people, but it's it's huge organization huge engineering business and and she was telling me how everybody in the organization could articulate how they were contributing towards saving a one-tenth of the lap time of the formula one car whether they were cleaning right. the floors and you know and this is the kind of the old nasa janitor story mm. but whether they were cleaning the floors in the factory or they were they empty you know they kind of they drove the the, the the forklifts that moved the pallets around in the yard or they all could articulate how what i do contributes towards that car on the track saving one tenth. now i know sporting analogies are always dangerous because you know usually winning and losing is is much more visible than than it is for a lot of organizations uh but i just really like that and that kind of links through to what you you're just saying there is that you know you could have the best internal comms in the world and all the apps and you know kind of 
latest tools available to you but if people can't see what they're contributing towards that kind of that massive you know that strategic goal which is their strategic goal you know it's to win races and that it means that everybody's contributing you know that that those marginal gains then um we're not doing our job properly and and i think you know that kind of links to all of the stuff we've been talking about today i guess um yeah and it's why i think your work's so great because you know what you, especially when talking about kind of the the big picture stuff that I've mm. you know I've, I've I've seen the results of over the years, and I know you do lots of other stuff, but you know the end result of that is incredible, and it's a beautiful mm. visual, and people get it, and people you know uh, want to be engaged by it. But but and you're welcome to say I'm wrong on this, by <laughs> the way. But I think a big a big part of what makes your work so successful and sticky and and, and you know um, powerful mm. is is all of the work you do to create that at the end mm. Mm. because that's what that's where you're getting the engagement from those you know 20 30 40 50 percent of people who you're able to interview work with and uncover and and by them being part of the creation of the thing yeah then they're engaged in the overall you know the overall strategy or culture or or, or you know health and safety policy or, or whatever it is because health and safety you know it's something you do it's another example of yeah. this yeah. you know comms we 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 were working with a big energy company again years ago and they they had this number one strategic imperative which was you know, zero harm. I think in the previous year, they'd lost something like 13 people across Europe Goodness. at work. Mm. And, but they were, you know, it was comms after comms after comms after comms after comms. And people, you know, people still weren't following every process and procedure. But if you're a, you know, in that case, a, a, a guy who's been working on railroads for 40 years doing the same thing, having the same safety briefing every morning it isn't mm. going to have an impact. No. And it was only when we said, right, actually, what do you want? What's the outcome of all of the activity? Which was that every family gets their, you know, their loved one home safely at the end of a working day. Right, what would you do to enable that? Mm. And they shifted the whole approach. That's when you start making a difference. And yeah. I know, yeah. you know, that aligns closely with the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, what you've just said there is a great example, I think, of that of that uh, culture and strategy having to align because it's very often the case when we're, um, you know, when when we, you know, we, you know, we that's just one thing that we do. Health and safety type com communication is is that um, it's only when we're kind of either developing that solution for a client that it becomes apparent that okay so what you're saying to them is you don't want them to cut corners you don't want them to rush you don't want them to uh you know ignore safety rules because they're they're under pressure to deliver and yet all you communicate to them is uh production targets and failed orders and we you know the customer is king and all of this stuff which is great but tell me how someone who's sort of in a on a night shift in a forklift that the lights are broken on and he's got to go or he or she's got to drive into the yard and uh, um, and they don't know where they're going. But if they don't, their boss is going to be on their back saying, "Why haven't you got that order out on time?" Um, how do they how do they trade that off? What's the dilemma that's going on in their mind, and how do we help them to reconcile that in a way that you want them to? Because it's up to you at the end of the day. It's your strategy. You know, is that more important than the production target, or do you want them to do it? safely and it's only when you ask them those questions that they actually go oh god you're right actually i've not really thought about that um and it's obvious to us but not to them because they're, they're giving conflicting messages all the time so yeah it's um, yeah. yeah i yeah. spent some time in call centers <laughs> as you know as part of my kind of formative years in my career yeah. and work with cook and it was you know similar you know like less life-threatening thank goodness but you know hmm. i often have these briefs where i go we want to be really you know 
customer-focused organizations and it's all about the relationship. It's all about the relationship. Mm. And then you'd look at the targets that the people on the phones that were, you know, were actually, you know, driven to deliver and, and you know, had to deliver otherwise mm. they weren't performing. And it was how many calls can you get through? Um, you know, how, how quickly can you wrap a call up? You know, calls per hour, call handling time, that kind of thing. You go, well, that, if, that's fine. If you want if you want people to be get through calls quickly, that's how you do it. But if you want people to create great uh, you know uh, connections between them and the customer, yeah. then forcing them to get off calls quickly that you know you, if one's going to give you a bonus and you know allow you to take your kids on the holiday that you want to in the summer, and the other one is is going to be what you kind of told in team meetings, I know which one's going to win. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as you say, that's where. Again, it's that's a it's another really simple example yeah. of where your strategic intent, the culture you need to create, and the experience that you want to that you desire to create, you know, have to be aligned. Otherwise, yeah. you get these conflicts. Yeah, we 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 we. Uh, I had a it was a guest a guest on my show, uh, not a client, but I, I was speaking to someone and and she was telling me she works for like a. Uh, an electrical retailer that, that kind of you know does everything online. So they have you know their their point of contact with customers is the delivery and the the sale or the you know any any kind of call, call calls to the call center. And and they have a mantra which I really like, which I think you know it, go, it goes back to your the way we be around here kind of definition of culture is that the direction they give to their people on the phone is uh, and we get this right now um, treat everyone like your gran and make decisions that your mum would be proud of. And I just I really really it. like that. Uh, I, kind of, you don't need to kind of define that any further do you for most people they can kind of go right i know what you mean yeah and totally. to get on with it <laughs> i i had the real pleasure for for a period of time to coach um uh a lady who was at the time the vp of service for for lego mm. uh I, I, you know sophie patricios she is i know sophie uh, she, yeah you yeah. know sophie mm-hmm. is, you yeah, know, yeah. Br- brilliant mm. um brilliant human being mm. incredibly talented um and um, I remember her showing me around the uh, the contact center. I think it was a London contact center for Lego that, that was, which was one of her sites. And um, first of all, I noticed there wasn't any wallboards. Which mm-hmm. at that time, every call center I went into had wallboards. Mm. Which, if anyone's listening and you've never been in a call center, it's like a, a flat. There used to be LED screens. They're now kind of TV screens and tells you how many calls are coming in, how many are in your call queue, mm. how long people have been hanging on for, all of, all of those kind of things. So there's no call queues. But the other thing I noticed was, again, this is back in the day where you had things called turrets. It wasn't all. It wasn't all on a screen. And turrets was basically where you push the button to answer a call, to hang up a call, to put people on hold. And there was little tip X marks on all of the turrets. And I'd walked around and she was telling me about all these things and how calls get put in in queues based on language because they were a multilingual call center. And, and then the end said, Sophie, I'm going to have to ask you, why is there bits of sticky paper and, and Tipex on all of the turrets? And she went, ah, well, underneath that is a, is a flashing light. And, it, and it's a light that flashes that tells you as the advisor if there is a big queue of people waiting in the call queue that you're answering. Mm. And I was like, okay, I get that, but why is it tip X'd out? And she said, their job on the phone is to love the one they're with. Yeah. My job is to, you know, look after all of the resource and, and to take care of the call queues. Yeah. And I was like, that's fascinating. Yeah, but yeah. What made it really different was in most call centers, um, you know, you might have a target of 10. You've got to get through 10 calls an hour to, to perform. 
and that would be worked out on some kind of metric which which the business had gone okay if we're given the right degree of service um but at a, at the right pace and right knowledge we probably should be able to get through 10 calls an hour yeah so if I was getting through eight calls an hour, if you're my boss, Craig, you would pull me and go, hey, you should be getting 10. Why are you doing eight? And I might be able to explain it. Mm. But also if got really busy, what you do is, if it is a team leader, and I saw this time and time again in the call centers I worked with, they, there would be a big queue. So the team leaders would all be up around going, come on, let's get through quickly. Let's get through quicker. Let's get 12 calls now. Let's get 14 calls an hour. So of course, by nature, people would do it and the call, call quality would drop off. In Sophie's call centers and Legos, um, what would actually happen was if you were doing, if the target was eight calls an hour at the time, if you were doing 10 uh, over a period of a week, you would still get that little conversation where you'd be pulled away and the team lead would say, hey, Richard, I'm just checking in. I know you've been doing, you know, 10 calls an hour. Is everything okay? Because they didn't want people to go too quickly. Yeah, yeah. Because it was that love, love the one you're with was yeah, so important. Yeah, yeah. So again, the whole way that everything was measured all again, everything being aligned from the strategic intent to the culture you created to the experience you had, um, you know, at the end. And, and again, I'm saying this inherently out of that whole strategic piece should fall your KPIs and your measures and your metrics, you know. Yeah. So again, it's a, these are all anecdotes that to me point, point to the same thing about the alignment advantage. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Anyway, that's a great point to finish off, Richard. We're coming up to the hour, and uh, and and uh, and I knew this would happen with you because I always get en engrossed in these conversations. So I, ho I hope the listeners have found that a, 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 an interesting conversation to eavesdrop on. Um, but thank you so much. Uh, just in terms of finding out more about you, I'm going to put your uh, LinkedIn profile link into the show notes. I obviously put a link into. 21 leadership and i'm also going to put a link into uh, to buying the book as well uh, the alignment advantage um full disclosure i've put an affiliate link in there so we we do get a little bit of uh, um, uh help from it's an amazon link there so if you buy the book from amazon we get a little bit back from that but that helps us to keep the podcast free and all of yeah. this good stuff for you and that's okay with you richard i didn't check that before we use that beforehand is that okay yeah yeah of course fantastic excellent well look thank you so much richard thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom your insights uh and fantastically um insightful stuff and good luck with the book i know it's uh when did when did when was the book launched again uh in the uk it came out beginning of june us end of june so it's, okay uh, it's, uh, it's ticking ticking along nicely it's okay okay well this is going out this this interview is going out in, in october so it's going to give people another reminder about it and hopefully give you another uh, uh uplift in uh, in people showing interest in the book anyway and, and uh, obviously hopefully getting in touch with you richard and find out more about the excellent work that you do appreciate it always a pleasure craig thanks so much richard take care we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services, our big pictures, our learning maps, our explainer videos, and also our live graphic recording, please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk. Thank you.